This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with William Spencer, licensed professional engineer and managing partner at MHS Planning and Design, about the profound impact of civil engineering on children's well-being through parks and playgrounds. We're going to talk about some of the funding challenges of creating these spaces and the significance of outdoor play in child wellness, which also ultimately helps us as a society as a whole. He actually has a really cool acronym SPEC that he's going to walk us through that really reinforces the benefits that we can drive as civil engineers for society. Let's jump right in. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. William Spencer is a managing partner at MHS Planning and Design. William, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for having me, Anthony. To get us started here, tell us about MHS. What kind of company are you? What kind of services do you offer? Where are you located? Just to get us kicked off. We're based out of Texas. Our home office started in Tyler, Texas, which is East Texas. And this past year, we opened the second office in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Our firm specializes in park planning and park design. So we have members of the planning nature, civil engineering, landscape architecture, CAD drafters, all in-house with an emphasis in park planning. Before we get to where we are today, tell us about your kind of career path, how it's gone for you. I uh, went to Texas A&M University where I studied civil engineering. From there, my first job was in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex doing residential development for an engineering firm up there. About 10 years ago, we had our first kiddo and we wanted to move to East Texas where my dad had a, a park playing firm. And, and I came in and, and partnered with him and really began doing the design side of the planning projects that he was doing. That was 10 years ago. He retired about five years ago, and my business partner, Hunter Rush, and I have been owning and operating this company for about five years now. Tell us about your work in civil engineering for parks and playgrounds and how you've seen it really impact the wellness of the children that are using those parks and playgrounds. Parks and, and playgrounds specifically don't 
typically resonate with engineers. When you think engineers, you think big structures, you think water mains, you think roadway design. But it was interesting as I dove into this, there's such a vast need for us in this space just because it is still a design space that does impact really kind of the foundational growth component of America being the youth of tomorrow. And there's so much good benefit that takes place on the playground, that takes place at parks. I always ask my kiddos when they come home from school, it's like, what was the favorite thing you did? And they always said the same thing. It's, it's recess. It was playing outside. And for them to go outside and run and play, it's still a learning environment for them. They still learn how to get along. They learn how to disagree. They learn what risk is, what hazard is. So, you know, being an engineer and, and helping develop some of those spaces for kids at those formative ages just means a lot to me. It leaves a really great legacy. I was, I got to celebrate with my dad, you know, a few years ago as he kind of entered into retirement and just listening to him talk about the legacy that he left and, and the families and the people that he impacted along the way through the spaces that he created was just so heartwarming. That's one of the things that sometimes as civil engineers, we forget that the work that we do really has a big impact on people all the work we do, right? Because everything that we do is somehow touched by humans, whether it's roadways or parks or playgrounds or buildings or whatever the case may be. And I think it especially hits home when you know, you're know you able to directly impact children and families, which is great. The one thing that I want to talk a little bit about is funding is often a, a significant challenge when you're creating and maintaining public spaces like parks. So what are the some of strategies or sources of funding that can be explored to address this issue? Specifically, as it got down to playgrounds and parks, oftentimes the planning phase of these things is missed. It's, it's all of a sudden it's a need. So they kind of come in and place these parks and these spaces haphazardly in that, hey, we need to put a park in place. We need to put a playground in place. And they just do it, right? But not all parks and not all playgrounds are created. They don't drive the same intent. So coming in and having a good plan and then putting that in front of the decision makers, getting city council members, city managers, saying this is the plan that was driven by community input. This is what our citizens want. This is what they need in specific areas. This is what the bigger picture looks like. So once you kind of have this plan and you allow citizens to talk about it, the city council members that are, are in charge of representing them feel this need to then go and build things. So you kind of get this buy-in from the community as you cast vision, art shouldn't be done haphazardly in a reactive moment. It should be a much more proactive moment. So when you take that planning approach, the funding becomes available because then you have the ear and the eye of the city manager and the city council members. You can look for different grants and most states have really great outdoor grant programs that can go supplement, but they do want to see buy-in from a community. You can also prioritize through playground vendors or or other suppliers. Watch for opportunities that, that you can leverage and figure out who needs to be a good partner as it fits in with the plan. This is important. And the reason that it's important is without the funding, without the proper strategies, it may be difficult to get these parks in place. And the reason that the parks are so important is we need to have kids outside running around. I mean, look at the last couple of years with COVID. We've had a lot of problems now with inactivity amongst children. And then that happens. That just creates more problems down the road. In fact, it's been proven that children with low exposure to green spaces are more likely to face mental health issues. So 
William, how does outdoor play contribute to the overall kind of wellness of children and what role does civil engineering play in this context? You leaned on a great point. You know, since COVID and even since the era of the screen, kids can go and they can escape and, and find that escape that they used to find running around in the outdoor space in the parks, but sitting in their rooms. And, and what COVID taught us is we can have community by these screens, but it is different. And I think that's one of the things that we're finding a couple of years later. A digital friendship is very, very different than an in-person and upfront and honest place that you're interacting with somebody. So one of the things we always talk about is, is a acronym called SPEC, S-P-E-C. So that is the social, the physical, emotional, and cognitive side of play. These are all the areas in which parks and playgrounds and outdoor spaces lead to the development of children and help with not only their mental well-being, their physical well-being, their social well-being, but really creating well-rounded kids in those spaces. So, you know, you think about the social aspect, and we talked about it earlier, when there's one swing, two swings, what do you have to do? You have to wait your turn in line. You don't get to go push the kid off the swing and jump on it because you wanted to. So you learn how to interact in the social aspect, you know, waiting in line to go up to the top of the slide. That was the one that I vividly remember. Of I wanted to go down the slide so much, but I had to wait in line. I learned what that meant to be, how you worked in the social atmosphere. The physical side, there's there's so many physical attributes that come with the playground, whether that's you know, the spinning side of things, the swinging side of things, the pulling and the pushing, but the physical aspect and the development of that. Kids don't go work out. I don't work out near enough. But man, I find when I'm at the playground with my kids, I'm active, I'm involved, they're active, they're involved, and they're physically developing how to move. They also get to challenge themselves as far as what's risk and what's hazard. So this moves in more to the cognitive side of things, but deciding what is dangerous to me? Well, what am my body able to do so that, yeah, this is risky, but at the end of the day, it's in a safe space versus this is really hazardous. I should not do this. I could probably get hurt. So kind of the physical side, the emotional side of things, being running, playing, allowing your body to get some of that energy out. But there's places and spaces that you can create that allow kids to also calm down. There's things that can be sensitive to touch, and there's some sensory items that you can place in playgrounds that help them with the emotional side of things. And we'll dive into that a little bit later. Then obviously the cognitive side of things is kind of understanding the understanding of that risk hazard and what we're able to do as we mentally develop. That's great. No, I like that a lot, having that SPEC acronym, right? Social, physical, emotional, cognitive. It makes it really easy to think through and think through the different benefits. Now, the long-term maintenance is crucial for the sustainability of these place bases that you know we as civil engineers are creating. How does the need for maintenance affect the initial design and planning of a play space? And you kind of look back over you know the last 20 years in the evolution of play we just worked with the city and we came in and replaced 24 of their playgrounds and, and we kind of came through did a big master plan and that we didn't want any of them to be the same but but they did the same process about 30 years ago and what they did is they just came and dropped the same three playgrounds in at eight different locations and it was very very bland and very boring so when we came there pieces all the same pieces were broken because they got overused the safety servicing wasn't there, and it just lacked interest and intrigue, if you will. So were they getting used? No. What we tried to do in that one specifically is we came in and we did 24 different designs with that as you showed up, they always looked good. So picking colors that, that didn't necessarily fade, 
picking surfacing that would not just be a high maintenance item. We refer to EWF being an engineered wood fiber. Well, that's something that you've got to replace on almost a yearly basis to keep that safety factor up. And that's a heavy maintenance item for city staff, where if you came in and do what we call PIP or port in place or even a turf product, yeah, you pay a little bit more up front, but you don't have to maintain that every year to two years at the level that you would an engineered wood surface. Not only that, but the playground providers have done such a great job coming up with burn-resistant or use-tolerant ropes and slides and amenities that are just built to last longer now so that as kids come this year when it's new, 10 years, it still feels new and exciting to them. So what does that make them do? They, they want to go see what other play spaces are out there because they had such a pleasant experience at that one. It's poorly maintained. It's poorly thought out in the design phase. I mean, you show up and that excitement's not there. So then all of a sudden they're, they're like, well, why would we go to the park again? I just go do that at the house, right? So then we're back to that. Now we're back at the house. Now we're back in front of screens and we're fighting that same fight. So being able to have that unique experience, that exciting experience at the beginning and then the longevity of it for 10 years really needs to go into the forefront of design to set cities up to six for success as they try and maintain it for the next decade. This is a really just important aspect of being a good civil engineer and a good project manager. And we talk about this a lot in our project management training programs is that sure you want to make sure that helping your client to maintain budget on their projects, but at the same time, you don't want to be skimping, having them skimp out in the design phase to only come back to haunt them long-term with the sustainability and the maintenance and the cost down the road with some of these projects. So it's imperative that as civil engineers, we have to be honest with our clients and tell them like, listen, I'm going to ask you to pay some more up front, but it's going to save you a lot on the back end. And I think that's something that is important for us if we want to be successful and we want to give the most value to our clients. We have to be honest with them about that. And that's important. One of the other things that I want to mention is there's obviously a problem that there is inadequate green space for children right now. And I know in the US, I recently looked into this actually, and I think 40% roughly of adults in the US are considered obese. And to me, I think that a big part of that is you establish your habits for activity when you're a kid. And if you're active as a kid, you're playing sports, you're running around, that's probably going to translate as you get older and you're going to want to be more active. And so I think that what we're doing here and what we're talking about as civil engineers and creating those spaces for kids from a very young age are just going to help everybody in the long term. But again, there are inadequate green spaces. So what are some of the solutions, William, and innovative approaches that can help us address the problem of this inadequate green space for children? You did a wonderful job, Anthony, of kind of summarizing the issue because you're laying the foundation in these formative years or kids are in elementary school but allowing them to see the need for it. And I, I will tell you, you know, COVID really highlighted the need for outdoor open space. Everybody was inside and where did they go to recreate? They just went walking and they went to have some experience. But one of the things that's happened even in playgrounds and parks is there's this group that oftentimes gets excluded. So we want to make sure that everybody has a space and a place in those open spaces, right? How do we get more? We drive attention. We allow people to have unique experiences, no matter what their lifestyle is. So one of the things that we talk about a bunch as we talk about parks and playgrounds is the idea of inclusivity versus 
accessibility. So everybody oftentimes gets the two confused of accessibility being everybody needs to be able to get to the thing. That's it. They just need to be able to get to it. Well, inclusivity is making sure that everybody has a space for them to be able to recreate it. This goes from a grandparent trying to go play with their grandchildren. How many playgrounds do we think about when we design it? Do we consider the grandparent that wants to go interact with the four-year-old and go and play and walk and move? Most of these things are, are thought of as just a five to 12-year-old element, right? So it's the idea of inclusivity. And, and a lot of things when people hear accessibility and inclusivity, they think about the kid that is that they've got some kind of orthopedic and one of the statistics that the National Center for Education did in a 2019 study, they said only 1% of kids has an orthopedic impairment. The other is 99% of the kids out there that have some disability outside of that. But yet all the things we talk about is like the kids with these orthopedic impairments. What are we doing for the other 99%? So how do we get more of them? We have to start considering the people that were excluded from these spaces to begin with such that there is there everybody feels welcome, right? If it's if it's the only people voting for a park or or playground or the people with kids, you've missed a massive demographic. You've got to have an opening for everybody of all ages, such that it's it's much more inclusive that everybody can use it. So that's honestly in my opinion how you get more of them. You allow more people to use them and allow it to be inviting for everybody. To do that a lot of collaboration has to happen among various stakeholders here, right? Civil engineers working with the local communities, with governments, with other organizations. How does that happen? A lot of it is really trying to get in and as a civil engineer being the voice for education. People on the engineering front, it has been a, a trait or a career that has been really sought after at a high level for a while. So the idea that, man, they've got good information. And, and for us as civil engineers to be able to convey the appropriate information and help educate those people in the collaborative space is really being a vehicle for education because so much of what we fight in the parks and open space is this a quality of life thing, is this a quantitative piece of life thing, how do parks fit in when you talk about that versus funding a, a water line or a fire station or a, a roadway, right? So a lot of our collaboration is the education of the importance of these things. This should not be thought about as a secondary funding, like if we have enough money, we should go do parts. This should be thought about as a true necessity as we build out communities of, and if people aren't healthy and they can't get out and interact and drive, there's no need for roadways, right? We got to watch out for the health and well-being of the people. And in parts is a big piece of that. So but it goes back to kind of the collaborative side of things. And we really want to be a vehicle and a vessel of education. And then also being able to create spaces that my dad always said this, you get one chance to make a first impression. So as we design these spaces, we really want to have that wild factor of this is different than what I expected. There is a space for everybody. I see people of all types of places in life meeting and mixing and interacting. And it's a good, healthy space for all that to take place. Looking to the future, William, what do you see as the most promising developments and opportunities in the field of civil engineering for parks and playgrounds? I think one of the big ones is going to be sustainability. We talk a lot about sustainability. A lot of parks are built in places that other things didn't want to get built. So we have really great opportunities to push 
and educate on sustainability. I think that's one of the big areas that we see a lot of, of areas of promising development, but also changing kind of that level of expectation. Can we reset the bar of going from just a, if we have enough to, then this is really a necessity. And that goes back to kind of the, the idea of how can we get more people involved in these areas? So sustainability on the educational front of things, using sustainable materials as we construct these things, but also, you know, trying to get those additional people in and changing a mindset of, of the need for this and connecting mental well-being, mental health, physical development, all the things that we talked about in the SPEC acronym to tie back into parks and seeing the parks as a really important part of social development. As a civil engineer, I think this is one of the topics to me that is really important. I mean, everything we do in civil engineering has an impact on society, but being able to get young kids moving and active, like we talked about, is going to help them now and it's going to help them in the future. And overall, as a society, it's going to be helpful for us in getting people moving around and keeping people moving around, even in the age of technology, right? Which has a bit with screens slowed that down. So it's all good stuff. So we're going to take a quick break, then we're going to come back with William and we'll finish up with our civil engineering hot seat. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. We are back with our guest for today, William Spencer, managing partner and professional engineer at MHS Planning and Design. We've talked a lot about the importance role that civil engineers have in developing green spaces and play spaces for young kids, which is helping us develop as a society overall. But now, William, we're going to wrap up with a couple career-related questions on our hot seat. You ready? Absolutely. First one, do you have any specific rituals or routines that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? Setting up a morning routine has been really great. I can control what's in the morning. You know, once I kind of dive into my emails and the phone calls for the day, it gets a little bit crazy. So just time blocking a moment in the morning, one, to kind of think, okay, throughout the day today, if I had to get one thing done, what is that one thing going to be? And then, then making sure I'm prioritizing it as I line out what the rest of my day looks like. Also, it gives you time to kind of look at your schedule of Okay, am I prepared for the, each of these individual meetings, interactions, things like that? So it allows me to build good habits and be extremely intentional with the time that I've got, whether that's, that's project-related, whether that's staff and coaching-related with other people. It kind of prevents me from flying in like I'm on fire. and really kind of taking the time to take a deep breath and say, okay, there's a lot going on, but these are the things that really, at the end of the day, matter the most. Let's make sure we do those great. The second one, has there been a leadership philosophy or a book or an author or, you know, something that's impacted you that's kind of stuck with you in your career as you've kind of grown in your career? There's a lot of books and I, I would strongly encourage any of the readers to read. There's so many great authors out there within. There's so many ways that we can find these books nowadays. But one of the topics that really has kind of stuck with me throughout my career and it's kind of feels like oil and water as we talk about engineering is the idea of communication. We really, as engineers, need to be effective communicators. And it goes two different ways. How do we communicate within our projects? Are we saying what, what we want to say and are the people hearing what we're actually saying? Are we educating and leading our staff and our team members and guiding them, directing in the direction that we're going? And then 
circling back with them to make sure that that was effective communication, that they actually know the end result, that they don't have any questions. But the, but the area of communication that has been extremely important, keeping communication, keeping lines of communication open, even as daily interactions die off. So studying the, in the engineering lab at Texas a and we had a lot of communication, a lot of people that I did a lot of stuff with. And then keeping those relationships through the years as we all developed and as we had different career choices that we made and, and keeping those lines of communication open so that you have a sounding board for people to, to, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? Have you faced anything like this? I'm about to take my PE. Have you taken any classes or tests or do you have any resources that I might utilize? Keeping those lines of communication, even when you think they've died off, a quarterly, once a quarter touch with those guys, once a year is really important. And a lot of that can happen through ASCE. Thinking back on your career to date, you know, maybe thinking of some of your favorite managers and you don't have to name names, but if you think of some of the managers you worked with that were great, what made them great? We're just trying to understand, you know, what makes for great managers in the civil engineering world? Big one that stands out is availability. I think when somebody's available and they make you feel like you're important or this conversation is important, that they're not too busy or they don't have time for you. You know, that's one of those things that is a, if you have a manager and somebody that's like, I just never have time for you, that can be extremely off-putting. So one of the things I try and challenge myself all the time to do is never talk about how busy you are. Everybody's busy. We live in a busy time, right? With, with speed of business, emails, phone calls, digital meetings, you can do speed of business much faster than it was 15 years ago. But if you want to be countercultural, You've got to make sure that the conversation that you're in is the most important conversation that you're dealing with, that you're available for the people that you're leading. And that really has stood out to me. My managers and my teachers and my mentors that have been available, that really make my conversation feel like it's what's most important to them, no matter what else they have going on in their world. And that stood out leaps and bounds above everything else. Yeah, it's a great point. I've had a couple of managers on both ends of that in my career. One of them, you know, that was always too busy to talk to you. And then the other one that would always be willing to talk to you whenever you needed it. And I can definitely think much more fondly of the one that was available and, and ready to help and support. So that's great. All right. The last question that I have for you today, William, we call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineering professional, up and coming professional, and you had maybe 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, what career advice would you give them in that short period of time? The simplest thing I would say is know what you know and admit to what you don't know. I think as engineers, we feel like we always have to have the answer. And that's not the case. That's not the expectation. Be confident in what you know. And when you say something is truth, make sure it's truth. And if you don't know it's truth, qualify that. Hey, I believe it's this, but let me take a look at it. I think way too often we feel like we have to have all the answers all the time. And as your career builds, you will get more of those answers and you will build those things that are more confident, but you can break that level of trust real quick. If you say something is fact and then they fact check you and they're like, this isn't fact at all. And all of a sudden that relationship is burned. So I kind of go back, know what you know and admit to what you don't be humble enough to say those things and be honest with those people. William Spencer, MHS Planning and Design, thank you for spending some time with us today on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We really appreciate it. Anthony, thanks for having me.
I hope you enjoyed my interview with William Spencer. Again, it just goes to show you the impact that civil engineers really can have on society as a whole. We impact everyone in a lot of different ways, and that's why I love being a civil engineer. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.